vacation and paid time off is very valuable to, for people to just kind of recharge, take that time that is needed to disconnect. So having a limited sick days, right, doesn't make your employees feel like they have to use their paid vacation time to just go to the doctors or take care of something that might only take a couple hours during the day. I'm Adam Connors from NetworkWise and your host of Who's Who in HR. Ask any successful CEO about the most important aspect of their company and they'll inevitably answer their people. And who is it that's responsible for their people? It's human resources. In fact, HR is the backbone of any elite organization. They attract, develop, and engage top talent, progress culture, secure and manage important benefit programs, make sure you're appropriately paid, protect the best interest of each employee and the company, and so much more that quite frankly often gets taken for granted. On Who's Who in HR, I'll have in-depth discussions with well-known human resource leaders who offer insights into who they are, how they got there, and the areas they support. During our conversation, these leaders will reveal beneficial industry advice and innovative trends in the HR space that's contributing to keeping the world's most successful companies at the top of their game. My guest on this episode is Kyle Gibb. He brings a slightly different perspective to HR than my previous guests. Unlike the others who have been in the space for multiple decades, Kyle is about 10 years into his journey. He continues to learn, but he has a keen understanding of the role benefits play in a company and how important it is to communicate its value to employees. As with many younger workers, Kyle is also quick to adjust to rapidly changing work habits and has a good feel for what it is the modern day employee expects from his or her employer. So with that said, let's dive right in. Kyle Gibb, welcome to the show. Thanks, Adam. Happy been, to be here, man. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this. We've been trying to schedule this for a couple months now. <laughs> yeah, it's probably on me. I've been traveling a little bit back from Connecticut down to Tennessee at the moment right now at my fiance's parents' house. So if you don't mind, just give a, a quick overview of kind of uh, who you are. And then what I'd like to do is go into what I like to call the rapid fire section of this podcast, where it gives an opportunity to let the uh, audience know a little bit more about you as a person. And then from there, what we're going to do, we're going to rock and roll and uh, get under the hood in terms of your experience and what you're bringing to the table today. Sound like a plan? Sounds like a good plan. Sure. All right. Tell me about you. So most of my career certainly has revolved around benefits in the total reward space. Most currently, I've been working on a global benefit project for the company I'm at, but uh, that is coming to an end and wrapping up. And I actually have been lucky enough that I'm going to be going and working with uh, an old colleague of mine as part of uh, compensation, organizational effectiveness and retirement leave for, for North America. So it's been interesting. It's been a lot of fun to kind of go in and I just love to keep learning and expanding my career. So most of my background has really been around retirement benefits, health and welfare, and then really kind of keeping in that nature to try and expand that looking to move towards some compensation. So I always try and learn. I always try to keep moving forward with it. I'm really just glad uh, we could connect and, and have this time to chat. Me too. I'm looking forward to picking your brain. So let's start first with some rapid fire. Ready? Sure. What was the last thing that made you laugh? 
Jeez. Uh, well, I try to find keep it light most of the time. But last night, I actually stumbled upon like an old show. Whose line is anyway? I'm not sure if you're familiar yes, with it. Yes, Wayne Brady. Exactly. So, I mean, it's one of those things that I honestly didn't even know it was still on TV, but I loved it. And I haven't laughed that hard in a long time. So probably like just watched eight episodes last night of it. So it's a nice change sometimes from, I think, some of the things that are going on right now. So it always helps to laugh. It's so funny. So we stumbled upon that about a month or so ago because we've kind of run out of things as a family. There's really (laughs) family stuff to watch. And and, and again, like you, I forgot how funny that show was. So thank you for for reminding me because I'm going to watch that again. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Share with me a habit that you've got, good, bad, or indifferent. Well, it depends on probably who you ask if it's good or bad, but I probably avid golfer or I try to be an avid golfer. So probably a habit of mine that uh, I like to disconnect sometimes and just go and like walk nine holes if, if I can to relax. But so I view it as a good thing. My fiance right now also encourages and allows me to golf, but we'll see how long maybe that lasts. So it could turn into a bad thing, hopefully, but let's hope that it continues on the trajectory it has now. Tell me something that most people don't know about you. Probably one of the things is that uh, being an HR, a lot of people, I have a different background to have gotten to where I am today. Uh, I was actually a former actuary first. So my first part of my career, I was an actuary and really loved math. Always have loved those numbers. But another unique one is probably just that uh, I actually used to be a line chef at a country club, which is where I kind of developed my love for golf, being able to kind of play and cook at the same time. So that's uh, an interesting one. And how did that happen? Honestly, I grew up in a very small town out in Rhode Island. There wasn't much to do. And one of the only places to kind of get a job that was remotely close to me was at the, the local country club there. So it was, uh, it, you know, I started when I was 14 as a cart boy and then moved to the, the kitchen because I, I wanted to get that 10 cent an hour raise. <laughs> so, <laughs> and you could do that in the kitchen. So that's really where I shifted over. And I just love cooking, love food. So it was a good time to do that. But definitely love what I'm doing now. And it's a little bit better hours. We're a little bit better work-life balance. I've ever talked to anybody that's in the cooking business. It's some interesting long hours. So It's a passion of love. Oh, for sure. Better. You know, for sure. There's there's a lot of sacrifice that's going on. That's right. Going on there. So I want to know how you became a, a Boston sports fan. Yeah, well, I, honestly, it's probably mostly due to my father. I mean, growing up, he was a big, he played baseball a lot when he was a kid. And so we played baseball when we were growing up and all those sorts of sports. But my favorite player is probably Nomar Garcia Parra. You mm. know? So, and that just tied me to Boston from there. And then it, it kind of expanded. The Bruins fan Patriots fan. So it's certainly been 2020 has been rough, even with Tom Brady leaving. So it just kind of expanded from there. And, and so, yep. No more supposed to be just a quality human being. Yeah. I mean, Hey, if I could ever meet the guy someday, I'd love to. No more. If you're listening. Yeah. Right. Co- Reach me co- out. Reach out. <laughs> <laughs> What's a piece of technology that you just couldn't live without? Uh, I hate to kind of say that probably the cliche thing, but probably my cell phone, but it's just, it's helpful. It's got everything there. I mean, especially now with like car play too. It's your, your car's GPS. It's got your music. It's got everything calendar. So it keeps you connected too, right? Especially with everything that's going on. It's easy to FaceTime and connect with family and, and friends now. So uh, it's definitely probably has to, has to be that. Agreed. All right. So now I want to get under the hood. I want to pick your brain. I've got, sure, a, I got sure. a lot of questions. One in particular, I mean, you've been living in this benefits world. Yeah. I know you're going to be moving, doing a lot of comp, but you've probably have a fairly good, I guess, view of from a benefit standpoint, from being sure. in a global organization. What are the three most universally 
underutilized benefits? I think the first two are pretty easy, right? There's retirement and how you help people develop their retirement savings. And then there's medical, right? So somebody just needs that to support themselves for their health, right? So I think those are the real easy top two that are most universally utilized. And then the third one, it, it kind of maybe depends, on, I think, on your company's demographic, what interests them more, their age, where they are at their point in life. But so life insurance, I think, is a big one, too, that makes people feel comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. Glad that it's there for worst case. And then disability, too. Again, those two probably are like next in line for it. I just see that as, as maybe your, your top three area there. Interesting. And then what are the three most expensive benefits uh, that, well, again, that a company's paying for. Yeah, no, again, I think that comes, the first two, again, are really easy is retirement and medical, right? The retirement, I think companies have, the landscape has certainly made that shift where companies are moving towards defined contribution plans. And, and the main reason behind that is it takes the, the risk off of the company, right? That investment risk and that longevity risk, the, the, the company doesn't have to account for that anymore, which is where those old defined benefit pension plans had before. So, that is certainly a large cost. Probably the biggest cost I think for a company is going to be their retirement plans. Mm-hmm. And not only cost, but there's that risk that's carried with them. So the landscape has shifted. So that risk is giving employees the risk, but the ownership of it, right? So they're their own advocate for their retirement. So, and then definitely medical again, right? Your claims, your healthcare every year, there's a lot of cost that is going into the medical field, new advances in medicine and, and all those they're just kind of reflected, right? So, so this retirement one, medical is two. And then that third one can kind of edge and flow. But again, probably the disability piece, right? And the like family leaves and, and stuff to that nature, I would mm. say are probably some of the, the, the most expensive benefits. So family um, leave that gets taken a lot. Yeah. I, again, FMLA, I, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, people are using it now for more than just what you might typically think of like a birth of a child, but people are using it again to support their, their parents, right? Mm-hmm. You're in this weird thing where employees are having their own kids, but also trying to support their parents, right? So people are living longer and I think it's changing a little bit, right? Whereas maybe earlier generations were, hey, we're going to set you up and then you're on your own, you're good to go, right? And and now I think people are just kind of stuck and this, the boomers are kind of like stuck in that spectrum where they have their parents they're taking out still working themselves but they have their own kids too right so i think it's just being accepted more to kind of take and use that's interesting that you say that because as of about a month ago we started uh taking care of uh, my father-in-law so it's really interesting yeah. that, that you say that but how does fml play into maybe i'm just not understanding it do you mind expanding a little bit so like well yes yeah, so there's there a benefit yeah, sure. we should be using <laughs> no i mean from a company <laughs> sure, sure. I got you. I got you. And that, that, that sums up the benefits world, I think, as a whole, right? I mean, yeah. People don't really uh, know their benefits and, until they really need them, right? But the cost of replacing the staff, right, that you have, and you don't know how long it's going to be for, right? Sometimes people get paid FMLA and other times it's unpaid. So it really depends on what your employer and, and what they want to offer for you. But uh, I guess when I talk about like leave absence to like disabilities, right? So I think we're where people are on short-term disability or if that translates to long-term disability, that's a big cost for a company to really bear. So I, maybe I'm referring to more of that side when we're talking about leaves. And there's a lot that a company has to really kind of navigate and understand about that. And um, I think the good thing is the industry is really kind of starting to, especially in the U.S., to push the amount of time people get for maternity and paternity leave. But one thing that 
the companies need to also make sure that they have in line is a clear process for succumbents. Like once somebody goes out on leave, how are you going to fill their role, right? Because you've got to mm-hmm. guarantee that their role is there for when they come back, but there's the work still needs to get done. So it's that's something that I think just needs to be carefully thought through as a company. How do you, it's, it's great to have that benefit and it's going to really attract a talent. I think that's a, a benefit that makes a big splash, right? If you can have a long amount to, for paternity or maternity leave, but it's just kind of knowing too, like, okay, it's a great benefit you offer, but do you have the process in place to cover that work when somebody does go out? Well, well let me ask you this. How about sure. the trend? And I don't know if you're seeing this, but the trends for organizations to give unlimited sick days. You know, are you seeing that? Is that something that you've been considering? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I am seeing that. I think a lot of companies, maybe non-unions aside, right? I think unions are, we'll just, for purposes of this conversation, we'll just always leave unions in kind of their own spectrum here. But for certainly your non-union population, I think just technology has allowed people to work from a more remote standpoint. The good thing I think I'm seeing in the industry is that there's a shift of like trust that companies are putting in their employees, Right. So vacation and paid time off is very valuable to, for people to just kind of recharge, take that time that is needed to disconnect. So having unlimited sick days, right, doesn't make your employees feel like they have to use their paid vacation time to just go to the doctors or take care of something that might only take a couple hours during the day. So you have all these benefits you want employees to use and, and do their checkups throughout the year and do what you want them to do so that they can stay healthy, making sure that they have that time. The work's still going to get done. Don't get yeah. me wrong. I haven't worked for two companies that have unlimited sick time. I know end of the day, my job's still going to get done. But it's nice to know that if I needed two hours or I'm not feeling great for one day, I can kind of reconnect with touch base with everyone the next day. So I think you're going to see more and more companies doing that, you know, putting that trust in their employees and letting them be empowered. I think companies are going to have to start doing that if they want to remain kind of competitive. Yeah. So it's a good, good shift in the industry. Yeah. And then do you think that most people that are working for organizations understand how much these companies are investing in them besides just the regular paycheck? So that's my first question. The second sure. question is maybe you can quantify as a rule of thumb how much the sure, sure. per employee is typically, how much yeah. is invested I don't know. That's a great question. So I think before, like not like yesterday or last year or whatever, but in the past, I would say employees do not know that, right? To your point, they probably just see their what, what they're taking home in a paycheck and that's about it. But I think more employers are trying to bring light to that and they're starting to put out these total reward statements. And the total reward statement is kind of just that. It's showing you what your base salary is, what your annual incentive payment might be, how much the company's kind of contributing towards your medical how much are contributing towards retirement, any of these ancillary benefits, commuting expenses or education even if the company has a tuition reimbursement program. So I think they're really trying to shine light to that to show employees what the total package is for them in their cost. And to quantify that, it's part of the goal project that I really have been doing across 20 different countries globally. The average accrual that was coming in for benefits expenses about 30 to 35%. So, wow. Yeah. So if you're paying an employee like a hundred thousand as their salary, like the true cost for for that employee to the company is closer to like 130, 135,000 because we're talking per employee basis, right? So, so benefits certainly make up a very large cost of just operating a business. 
Well, so, so that leads me to a question and, and I don't know if you can answer this, but so say you're, uh, you're not a fiance anymore and you're married <laughs> and yep. you are on your wife's benefit plan Sure, and you sure. go to this other company, big company, and let's just yep. say they offer you that hundred thousand dollars and you yep. know that your benefits conservatively, let's say, put you at really a hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Yep. Is it fair of you? Say you really like their job, but maybe you've got an offer somewhere else for a hundred and fifteen thousand to go yep. to the company and say, "Listen, I, I, I am I'm inclined to move forward with your offer, but I will not need to take advantage of your benefit plan." Would that you know help you to be able to pay me more money on a base salary? Is gotcha. that something that's valid? Is that accepted? Am I phrasing it properly? No, no, I, I think you're phrasing it properly for sure. It's something I, I, that's another perk. If, I, if I'm an employee and I have a total reward statement that I can look at, and if I'm going to to look to negotiate or, or just have a conversation with a potential new employer, and to your point, they bring a number to you, but I might know I don't need to fully use some of their benefits. Would I say going back to them and say, hey, I'm not going to take your health care, so put that extra 10% into you know, my base, I don't think that would work because yeah. you never know if you need to come off your wife's benefits and now you guys need to go into to your company's benefits. So I think relying on it that specifically to say like from a dollar perspective, I don't think that would work, but I think it's, it, it's worth noting, like what is the total package and kind of trying to compare the total package at at the, the your new employer to the the current one, right? And some of the easiest ones to quantify is like, what are they doing to you for retirement, right? Because there is actual dollars invested there. So it definitely helps and should leverage that if you're having a conversation with a potential new employer to say, hey, here's my base, here's my bonus, here are the, the value of some of these benefits. And some of them, like healthcare, is going to be hard to put an actual dollar figure to. But I think it's more that employers just want employees to know, hey, we are doing a lot for you and we're trying to invest in you. And so don't just leave because someone's going to give you another five grand or, or 10 grand into your base, right? I mean, it helps to come back with that potential offer if they make you want to, to negotiate. But I think now the trend is that benefits, people are paying a little bit more closer attention to benefits employees are and, and the company themselves have has to be bigger than just your paycheck has to be bigger than just your nine to five job or for being realistic, it's probably random hours of all the day now with everyone working from home and having to try and balance their regular lives. But I think leverage it, certainly kind of keep it in mind what the total package is and what they're going to do for you because it, it should be something that you certainly pay attention to as an employee to know what you're, what, how, how much your employer is investing in you. And I think it's a good thing to be transparent. Transparency is really probably the best thing that comes out of it. That's a good point. Well, let me ask you this. What role is government playing these days in benefits, if at all? Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's interesting too. That's a great question. With the global lens and these big multinational companies, you, you try to look at maybe some of these standards of care that you want to offer for your employees and how is that made up? And what, and we I get into standards of care in a little bit, but the government kind of plays some sort of role as to what they are going to provide for their citizens, right? They're your employees, social security, for example, in the US and, and Medicare, right? So they're going to helps give some money in retirement and then some for healthcare, right? But you as a employer, how are you going to supplement that, right? And so each country around the world is different and what they provide is, we'll, we'll say their core benefit offerings for employees. And so if you as a company are trying to make sure that you provide an even level of benefits for all your employees across the globe, it's going to differ what piece of that is made up by the company versus what 
portion the government covers. That's one part of it. I think the other part of it certainly is, okay, there's new laws, legislation (laughs) that you need to kind of make sure you're familiar with because money and taxes, that all kinds of comes into effect as well. So it definitely plays a big part and you need to be familiar with the changes that are occurring on a regular basis. How do you stay on top of this? And how do you know like what is real? Because you got a lot of people that are either running for office or in office and they're going to kind of say that they're going to do certain things just to kind of get the momentum and to say that they're doing things full well, they're not going to follow through. So how how do you know? What do you need? You have really great legal counsel and you have really great consultants, right? (laughs) There's so much data out there that really does kind of come out on uh, on like a daily basis and it is hard to keep up with all of it i again like what's helped me in my career is developing the relationships with the consultants that i partner with other groups of our other colleagues in our in like our legal department to just we all have this kind of common goal in place and make sure that you know we're we're staying on top of our the benefit programs and offerings that we have and Usually there's a pretty big splash if something's like mandatory and required. You'll have ERISA counsel bring it up to you. You'll have, like I said, your consultants, your Mercers, your Aons, Willis, Tars, Watsons, like and others, but like big, sorry, big three that, that I've usually been partnering with. That put value in your consultants, right? Appreciate them and they want to do good for you and, and they're going to help you succeed, I think, as a company and personally. So I've certainly seen that in my career is that great consultants really help make your job a little bit easier. You mentioned uh, standards of care. Sure. Can you expand on that? What are standards of care? Yeah. So what I mean by standards of care is kind of taking this global company philosophy, if you will, as to what you want to prioritize and value for your employees. What do you want to make sure you provide at like a minimum? Maybe it's not so much a standard of care, but like a minimum of care, right? Do you want to make sure all your employees have access to healthcare and dent- like something as simple as that? Access to healthcare, annual screenings, vaccinations. When it comes to life insurance, you want to make sure that all your employees are receiving the same level of basic life insurance that you're going to provide as a company, right? You're kind of taking this paternal approach to it. So regardless of what country you're operating in or what's happening where, you make sure that you're benefit offerings and designs are similar across the board in the sense that if you have an employee that's in in China or an employee that's in Canada or Africa, that your benefit offerings are going to have this kind of same similar stance or approach to them. Granted, those markets are extremely different, but having a company established this kind of framework or guideline, if you will, to make sure that they're offering some sort of minimum level of care for their employees. And again, it's, it's not something that has to be rolled out in every single country that you're in, right? Because we can get into tier one countries versus two versus three, mm. where tier one are very developed countries, right? And tier two are your emerging markets and tier three are, let's just say, not even really emerging yet, right? But mm. so you have to deal with those frameworks. But standard of care is really just kind of defining yourself as a company, like what do you value? What do you want to provide support wise for your employees? And then try and go out and execute that. Right. So you want things to kind of have a similar approach, I would say, across your, your different countries of business. Interesting. So you've got obviously a lot of balls in the air. Do you have an overall or an overarching challenge in your role? Yeah. I mean, I think the hardest one, honestly, is dealing with some of the just some of the different time zones. Right. I mean, I'll have calls <laughs> 5, 5 a.m. some mornings and I'm on another meeting at like 11 p.m. Right. So my days certainly some are longer than others. And the hard thing too is the way I like to work together is, is like really collaborate with people. And, and I love to and prefer to me on uh, face-to-face 
But again, with the way 2020 has been, that's a little bit hard, right? So I think that's really some of the, the challenges I have, but also I have to be open-minded, right? Because what I'm most familiar with is, is the country that I live in, is the U.S. and the U.S. benefit structure and probably Canada, right? Our neighbors to the north there. So some other countries, these aren't the norms, right? Like it's, and, and so you, you make sure you, you first focus in on that every country has a core level of benefit offerings. And either if that's filled by the government or fulfilled by the company, like you don't want to be rolling out a, a stock purchase plan for a country in Africa that you don't even have a retirement plan put in place, right? Like yeah. you try to just prioritize what level of importance you have, but within each benefits and, and take a very strategic balanced approach to the offerings so that it's like a circle, man. You just kind of build from the core and work your layered way out from there. Interesting. And what do you think has been the best skill set that you've acquired that's put you in the position that you're in today? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I guess I try to take like a problem solving mindset or approach when reviewing data and, and trying to see the big picture, right? So it's it's like, here's what we're trying to attain and, and what's currently in place. And, and are there small tweaks? I'm not trying to bite more of of the apple than you really can, right? Make small changes first. That also helps from a budgeting perspective as opposed to trying to roll out one huge thing. But uh, it's probably going to mostly be the people that I work with and, and the interpersonal skills. And like you said, your network, it's who you surround yourself with and and how do you tap into each person's you know strengths to, to really drive forward results. Right? So I think that's probably what I try to do is really some interpersonal skills, get to know people on a deeper level. I love that answer. So I'm a big, <laughs> big, big fan of that. And listen, and having a strong network, it's surrounding the weakness of the individual, the strength of the group. For so sure. That's key. That's leadership. And you talk about these social skills that people call them the soft skills. I, I call them the hard or the durability skills, or mm-hmm. actually I call them the career insurance skills also. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point. That's a, I like that one. Oh, yeah. that, that's my little tidbit I'll take away from here. The, the career insurance goes. I like that. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> Good stuff. Hey, as we're running out of time, I got one last question for you. I am a, uh, I'm a quote guy and I, I love quotes. They really, they're powerful to me. And I'm, I want to, I want to run one by you and I want to, I want to get your interpretation of what does it mean or, or really what does it mean to you? Sure. If anything. And I would assume being the position that you're in, you've probably got some good insights on this. So price is what you pay. Value is what you get. I think that's a Buffett quote, by the way. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess the way I take that is is price, I would say, is short term, right? It's you know what it is right now. Whereas value, it takes a longer time period to determine really what you're getting, right? So yeah, I think it's short versus long term. And you can get more value for something or you don't know the value of something until you've had a longer term. I think that can relate really well to kind of employees, right? I mean, in your workforce. So it's a clear common theme with you too. You talked about the being with people, about seeing the bigger right. picture. Right, right. Yeah, very consistent. I love that. Kyle, this has been a lot of fun, extremely insightful. I've learned a lot today and I want to thank you for being a guest. You've been excellent. I appreciate it. Thanks for reaching out in the first place and it was just a pleasure to get to chat with you today. All right, you you make it a great day. All right, you too. Many thanks for listening to Who's Who in HR. If you're looking to connect with more top-level HR professionals, be sure to log on to networkwise.com to find out how you could be part of an HR mastermind group. Also, 
Subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date on everything happening with NetworkWise. In the interim, make it a great day and remember to always NetworkWise. Wise.